We praise God for His goodness. The Bible says, as the rich young ruler went and sought the Lord, or he, saw, he said, why callest thou me good? There's only one good, that's God. And I'm thankful that God is good. Let's take our Bibles together and open to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. It's good to see you all here this morning. We've missed you. It's hard to be away. And uh, it's good to see everyone here this morning. But uh, we're thankful for what God has done in our hearts and lives. We pray that God would continue His work here this morning. We've been studying through the life of Elijah. And as we, as we come to his life, we find that his life is connected to another man. Uh, we were first introduced to this man last Sunday night uh, as we looked at, at Elijah's battle, Elijah's struggle. And I pray that last Sunday, Sunday's messages were helped to us as we, as we looked and even saw that, that Elijah, this great man of God, this man who was used greatly by God to, to, to keep it from raining for three and a half years upon the face of the ground, not, no dew nor precipitation for three and a half years. And then his confrontation with the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel, the great victory that God had wrought as Elijah prayed fire down from heaven that consumed the altar, the sacrifice, all the stones and, and uh, all the, everything just instantly. And God wrought a work. But on the heels of that great victory, God brought, or Elijah, I'm sorry, Elijah faced a great season of discouragement and depression. And he fled to Mount Horeb, that the Mount of God, which is the same as Mount Sinai. It was there that God covenanted together with his people. Mount Horeb is a place of great significance in the Word of God. We're first introduced to Mount Horeb in the book of Exodus. And that's where, that's, where Eli, uh, that's where God met Moses in the burning bush. It's the same place where God gave the Ten Commandments. It's the same place where, where God uh, hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by and removed his hand so he could see the backside of his glory. It's a place of great significance. It was the place that, Moses, or that, that Elijah fled to. And God passed by Elijah's life there and encouraged his heart in the Lord and said, you know what, as bad as you feel like everything is, it's not as bad as you believe it is. You realize that, that our flesh, that our emotions play tricks on us, don't they? And in reality, uh, in, in reality nothing is ever as it seems. And nothing is, will ever be as bad as you believe in your heart that it could be. But God is good. And God is faithful. And in that time of great depression and defeat and darkness, the Lord commissioned this man, Elijah, to go and meet another man by the name of Elisha. We read that back in verses 15 and 16 of chapter, 8, of chapter 19. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return, on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah. I'm so glad that names are simpler these days, aren't you? And shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. But God said, listen, Elijah, it's, it's not over, buddy. I've got more work for you to do. 
And God passed by, I believe when God passed by Elijah's life there uh, on, on Mount Horeb, it made a change in his life. Aren't you thankful that God is still in the life-changing work? Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is either shadow, uh, no variableness, either shadow of turning. Great is thy faithfulness. So of thy mercies we are not consumed. Thy compassions, they fail not. Christian, understand the goodness and grace of God in our lives. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, wherein in time past He walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past. But I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of God. I was thinking about this this week and the great work that God has, has done in my life. I, the, the first day we were at camp, uh, at Congress, the, the young men, they were staying in the lodge. <laughs> you remember the lodge, Brother Wise? No, you're lucky. You were a married student. You didn't have to live there. But uh, I remember just walking in, dropping the guys off. They were in my room, the same room that I lived, that I lived in my first year of college. And uh, I took them to the front of that place. Uh, you walk in the front doors. It was, a, it was an old barn. <laughs> uh, they, they, re, they renovated it and built a, a lodge out of it for their Christian camp, Mount Moriah Christian camp. And it was right there in the front of that lodge in November of 2003 that God called me to be a preacher of the gospel. And just all the great things that God has done in my life. And I praise the Lord for it. But Christians, what ought our response to God be? What is, what is our reaction? What is your reaction to God in your life? As we come to the Word of God this morning, in a moment we're going to read together in verses 19 through 21, and we find here in, this, in these few verses, in this three-verse passage of Scripture, Elijah's interaction with Elisha. And I believe in my heart of hearts that Elisha's response to Elijah is the same response that you and I ought to have to the Lord. And so if you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read together here in God's Word, beginning in verse number 19 of 1 Kings, chapter number 19. The Bible says this, And he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow him. Or I'm sorry, then I will follow thee. And he, and he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And Lord, it's our heart's desire that we would hear from you today. Lord, the last thing any of us need is to hear from me. But Father, I pray that you touch my lips today. Lord, fill me with your spirit. And help me preach the word of God in your strength and in your power. Father, I pray that only the things that that you desire would be spoken today. Lord, and again, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. But God, that in our hearts today, you would do a mighty work. Help us understand what our response to you ought to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 19. It may sound a little strange, but I believe we see a picture of Christ here and and a picture of us. The relationship that you and I have with the Lord, it began at some point, did it not? For me, my journey with Christ began January 7th, 1989. Uh, That was the day I repented of my sin and by faith accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I have not always lived for the Lord as I should live for the Lord, but I pray that each day God helps me live for Him more and more, better and better, more perfectly. But notice what the Bible says concerning Elijah and Elisha. In verse number number 19, the, the final two statements, it says, And Elijah passed by him. Would you mark that statement? Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. This was the call of God upon the life of Elisha. Hold your place here in 1 Kings and please turn with me to the New Testament book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter number 5. We come to a very familiar passage of Scripture. We, we sing uh, these, uh, a song with our children that's, that's taken from this passage. Uh, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? And I pray that God helps us be fishers of men. I, I read a, a long time ago a very helpful truth. If, we, if we, we all understand that what we should be is fishers of men. That's, that's the intention of, of God for every one of our lives is that we would be fishers of men. But you and I can never be fishers of men if we will not uh, allow God to make us be fishers of men. God cannot make us what we ought to be for His glory if we do not first follow Him. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But notice what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter number 5. And uh, in verse number 18, the Word of God says... In verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, uh, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Of course, we come here, we find another truth concerning the Lord's working in our lives. That's that's chapter 5, isn't it? We need to be in chapter 4. I'm saying that is not right. In verse number 18, let's read that again. I even have it underlined. I think that would help me know exactly where I ought to be. In verse 18, it says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What a, what a lofty command, isn't it? What a humbling command to be invited by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a follower of Him. To enter into this relationship with Almighty God. Can you imagine, you know, we read the things that these men were exposed to. You know, in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached by the lips of the greatest preacher who ever preached. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's great sermon on the mount. They were there, they heard these things with their own ears. Uh, not only that, but all the parables that we've been studying. You know, the, the masses were left to figure them out for themselves. But Jesus spoke to His disciples and explained the truth to them. They saw all the miracles that Jesus had, had wrought in the lives of all. He would go into a city and heal everyone there of their sickness and of their infirmity. Yet He invites you and me to have a relationship with Him. I'm thankful that the calling of God in our lives is both general and specific. Generally speaking, the Lord invites all of us to have this relationship with Him. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, the Word of God tells us that the Lord is, uh, desires that we would all come under the knowledge of the truth. Who would have all to be saved and come under the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3.16, a familiar verse. All of us have probably heard it at some point or another in our lives. Many of us have put it into memory. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the, and Jesus says in the book of Revelation, uh, Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. I'm thankful that, that, the, that salvation is not only for us. Yeah. Look at what the Bible says. Hold your place. Look back in, in 1 John, please. All the way near the end of your Bible. In 1 John, chapter number 2, in verse number, uh, verse number 1, the Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. He's, he's talking to save people. And God's will for your life and mine is that we sin not. You know, I will never be sinless. I still battle the flesh. But the goal over the course of my Christian life is that I become more sanctified and more like Jesus Christ, and therefore that I would sin less every day. But God's intention is for you and me to sin not. But the Word of God goes on to say, he says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And look here what the Word of God says in verse number 2. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The atonement that Jesus Christ paid for you and me upon the cross is available to all. He died in my place. He paid for my sin. He rose in victory from the grave. 
And all I must do in order to uh, enter into this covenant relationship with God is found in Acts chapter 20. Look there, please. In Acts chapter number 20. In Acts chapter 20, in verse number 20, the Bible says, and, and how I kept back nothing. This is Paul. He's, he's talking to the leaders of the church at Ephesus and encouraging them and, and teaching them and in, exhorting them as he's about to leave and they'll never see him again. And he says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but, ye have, but have showed unto you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. What did he teach them publicly and from house to house? Testifying in verse number 21, both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Salvation was not for the Jews only, right? In Romans chapter number 1 and verse 16, Paul writes, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not just for a select few of people. It's, it's available to the, to the masses of all the world. Yeah, Testifying both the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That word repentance means we've got to change, change our minds. You know, I, I'm headed this direction. I'm living, I'm living for, my, uh, for myself. I'm living for sin and, and, and temporary satisfaction. I'm living with no regard for God at all whatsoever in my life. But then I hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How God Himself came to earth, lived a perfect life. A life which neither you nor I can ever live. Righteousness does not come by the law. But Jesus fulfilled the law. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Because He was without sin, even... Even Pilate said, I'd find no fault in him at all. And because of that, he died in my place. He was the perfect Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He died in my place. He paid for my sin, was buried, and rose again from the grave. And I understand that you know, without, without the Lord, without knowing him as my Savior, I cannot have salvation. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul and Silas were asked by the Philippian jailer, Sir, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they simply stated, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. I repent of my sin. It's an about face. And I look to the Lord to the Lord Jesus Christ only for my salvation. A turn from sin and self to the all-sufficient Savior. The Bible says, He that cometh to God, he will in no wise cast out. Look what the Word of God says in John chapter number 10. In John chapter 10, we find on the heels of the Lord Jesus Christ, great, one of his great seven I am statements concerning himself. He says, I am the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know what the devil is? He's a thief and a liar. Yeah, Jesus Christ said, I'm come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And when we come to Christ, he, he places us in his hand. 
We sang a little bit about that this morning, the songs, the hymns we sang. In verse number 27 of John 10, the Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they do what? They follow me. Would you mark that statement? They follow me. That's the intention of Christ in your life. Christian, that's the only logical response to God you and I can make. Why would we follow anything or anyone else? Let me ask you a question. We're going to continue reading here in, this, in, in John chapter 10 in just, a, in just a moment. But what has the world ever done for you? <laughs> has it not left you bruised and battered? Is the world not the ultimate source of your pain and discontentment? Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life. That you might have it more abundantly. The only satisfaction you will ever have in life is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I know them, and they follow me. And notice what the Lord says. He says, and I give unto them. You know that God gives us things at salvation that's more than just eternal life. I'm going to read you a list of about 30 things here in just a second uh, that God does in our lives at the moment of salvation. But he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And it says, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. God gives us eternal life. Eternal life is how long? It's eternal. It has no ending. You'll never perish. You never lose your salvation. Some people think that you can. The Word of God disagrees with that. Salvation was never accomplished by you. Amen. You couldn't do enough good works to get yourself saved. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Salvation wasn't, wasn't up to you, buddy. You didn't do enough good works to get to heaven. It's not how it works. Jesus, well, in the book of Isaiah, God says that our righteousness, the best thing that you can ascribe to yourself is as a filthy rag. And because it's gross, I won't go ahead and get into what that means. But it's disgusting. God says that that's, your good works are disgusting to me. They're not going to work to get you to heaven. But he promises, if we, he promises eternal life that will never perish. We can't do enough good works to get saved. We can't do any works to keep ourselves saved. Salvation is the work of God and the work of God alone. And he secures us safely in his hand, hidden in the hollow of his precious hand. Praise the Lord for the goodness of God. He gives us salvation. He's greater than all. No man can pluck them out of his hand. Consider all the great things that God has ever done for you. Listen, salvation is more than just eternal life. Listen to, listen to some of the other things that, that God does. These are things that accompany salvation. We have received from God a heavenly citizenship. 
We have been made a gift from God the Father to God the Son. We have been made nigh to God. We have been given access to God. We have redemption. We have been reconciled. All of our trespasses have been forgiven. We are free from the law of sin and death. We are on the rock, Jesus Christ. We have adoption as sons. We are accepted in the beloved. Praise the Lord. We are justified. We are delivered from the power of darkness. We are translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. We have much more of God's care. We have a royal priesthood. Praise the Lord for the royal priesthood. You have access. You have personal access to God. We have been made part of the household of God. We are complete in Him. People are oftentimes looking for things that will complete them, right? Looking for this, that, and the other thing. Nothing satisfies. Why? Because only Christ completes. And you are complete in Him. The Bible says that we have uh, the circumcision not made with hands. We have the earnest of the Spirit of God in our lives. We are part of God's eternal plan. We are a chosen generation, a holy uh, nation, a, ro- a particular people. Uh, God is our light. We, uh, he is the propitiation for our sins. We are joined with Christ in His judgment of the old man. We are glorified. We are identified with Christ. We are the children of God. We have an inheritance. We have all spiritual blessings. Christians, what has God done for you? And what are, what are our response be to Him? One day, the Lord passed by your life. Look back in 1 Kings chapter 19. One day, Elijah passed by Elisha's life. What was he doing? Elisha was the low man on the totem pole, wasn't he? Man, he was was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he was the 12th. There was a whole line of oxen plowing and tilling this field. All the dust, all the debris from those oxen, from those plows cutting through the earth, was blowing back on little old Elijah and his twelfth team of oxen. You know what the world does? The world brings nothing but filth, brings nothing but dirtiness. Only Christ can make you clean. And one day, Elijah passed by Elisha and cast his mantle upon him. As I look out amongst you this morning, I pray that you can look back over your life and that you remember a definitive time where Christ passed by your life when you repented of your sin and by faith accepted him as your Savior. He's forgiven you. All of those things that we just read, he's done for you. He's not only saved you, He's given you all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Accepted in the beloved. Your sins are forgiven. It's remarkable. What, did, what, was, Elijah's, what was Elisha's response to Elijah? Well, how he responded to the prophet, you and I ought to respond to our Lord and Savior. Would you write these three things down this morning? The first simple lesson, real briefly, The first simple lesson we find is that we are to love the Lord first and most. Love the Lord first and most. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. 
Preeminence is different than prominence. Your life, my life, ought to revolve solely around Christ. Does it though? Isn't it difficult? My wife and I, we have four kids. Life is not easy. It's awful. Not awful in the sense of awfulness. But I paused there I thought, that might sound terrible. So I thought I'd start talking again. But it's awful busy, isn't it? <laughs> it's awfully busy. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't trade our kids for anything other than a golden retriever. But that's beside the point. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. My oldest is right here. But, uh, you know. Life is busy, isn't it? We've got children. We've got jobs. We've got responsibility. Elisha was no different than you and me. He was busy. He was hard at work. He was out plowing this field But Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle upon him. And what does the Bible say that he did in verse number 20? It says, look there, it says, and he left the oxen. Do you think the guys in front of him were were happy when he left the oxen? In my mind, I can just picture these oxen continuing to drag that plow across the ground and cut all these weird rows in, uh, in the field. I grew up in the country. How many of you guys have seen, like, I go down, like, as you drive down the, uh, down the country roads, you look out, and you see perfectly straight lines of corn or lines of beans. And I can just see this, whoa, who got that? Who was doing that one, right? <laughs> Elijah, he left the oxen. And the Bible says, and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Was he wrong for, for going back and asking that he could... Uh, Go tell his family goodbye? I don't believe so at all. You You know what that demonstrated in his life? A life of absolute surrender. A life of abandonment to Jesus Christ. He forsook all and followed Elijah. Why? Because he loved the Lord first and he loved the Lord most. Christian, do you love the Lord first? Do you love the Lord most. Turn to the New Testament book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke this morning, in verse number in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And notice what our Savior says, and beginning in verse number 25, the Bible says, And there went uh, great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know, sometimes it's easy to, for us to hate other people. But how many of us actually hate our own flesh? You hate yourself? You know, sometimes it's easy to put others second, isn't it? But what about yourself? Well, I love the Lord before my wife. I love the Lord before my children. 
I love the Lord uh, before my job and my hobbies, but I don't, I don't necessarily love Him before me. Right? It's interesting that He included in your own selves also. He cannot be my disciple. The Bible goes on to say in verse 27, And whosoever doth not cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after uh, he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, and that all that behold it begin to mock him. I remember years ago I was driving up US 23 uh, just north of Toledo on my way to one of my favorite stores in all the world, Cabela's. You know? And on US 23, on the east side of the road, for years and years and years and years and years. It's probably still there, and it's probably pretty dilapidated and broken down by now. There was a house that someone began to build, and I don't know what the circumstances were surrounding the construction of that home, but it never got finished. And every time I think, I wonder what they, you know, in my mind, I, thought, I wonder what's going on there. I wonder what happened with that. You know, uh, when we moved here to Columbus about over eight years ago now, we were driving down Gender Road, and uh, right before, uh, there's uh, some apartments on, new apartments, they're like three stories tall, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was a, a storefront that was just there. Half done. I think they finally finished it, though. And I drove by it the other day, I think it looks pretty nice. So kudos to the owners of that property, you finished it, good job. But for years... Years and years, probably seven and a half years, at least, that storefront was started and not finished. Why? Because they probably didn't count the cost. And the Word of God says, Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to, to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else whether uh, the other is, is yet, a, or while the other is uh, yet a great way off, he sitteth an ambassage and desireth uh, conditions of peace. Notice in verse 33 of, of Luke chapter 14, so likewise, so likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all he hath, cannot be my disciple. Christians, you and I are to love the Lord first, and we're to love the Lord most. As we look back in 1 Kings 19, we find that Elisha, he went and he kissed his parents goodbye I don't know how long it'll be before I get back. You know, some of us need to kiss the world goodbye. We need to kiss the cares of this world goodbye. The Bible says we're to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. We need to count the cost of discipleship. Count the cost of truly following the Lord. We need to kiss some of these relationships we have goodbye. Some of these friends that you call friends who really aren't your friends. If they're not, if they're, if they don't bring out the best in you, you ought to say, sayonara. I'm out of here. 
The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs over and over that we're to forsake the way of the foolish man. But Christians, we must love the Lord first and most. When we love the Lord first and when we love Him most, it's easy to follow the Lord. It's a lifestyle of making the Lord preeminent. Our lives revolve around Him. Why? Because we love Him first. We only love Him because He first loved us. Consider the love of Christ in your life. Follow Him. Love Him first. Love Him most. Notice the second lesson I want you to write down. We find in, in, in chapter 19 of verse 21 of 1 Kings. After he bid farewell to all of his family, what did he do with the oxen and his instruments? He did what you and I need to do. He burned them. Christian, you need to write this down. Burn the bridges. I've heard preachers ask the question, you know, well-intended young men desiring to be in the Lord's work, you know, if you could do anything other than a, than a pastor, he said, do it. I don't agree with that. If you could do anything but serve the Lord, what would you do? Nothing. Burn the bridge. Don't go back. You know, we think of the oxen and the instruments. They were what tied Elisha to his old life. Consider the, the life of Peter for just a moment. After he had forsaken the Lord, where did he go? He said to his fellow disciples, I go a-fishing. And that's exactly what he did. And you know what happened? Others went with him. I'm going fishing. Christian, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Look what, look what the Bible says in verse number 21. He says, and, and, uh, and he returned back from, uh, uh, from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave the people and they did eat. <laughs> Reminded of a story of the life of a young man named William Borden. You may know him or may have heard him, of him as William Borden of Yale. He lived in the late 1800s. He was born in 1887. Uh, to a wealthy family in Chicago, they owned uh, the Borden Dairy Company. They were millionaires, man, just raking in the dough. The age of 16, after he had come to know Christ as his Savior, his parents sent him off to boarding school, and at the age of 16, he graduated. At the age of 16, he must have been really smart. And then, as a, as a graduation gift, his parents purchased him a round-the-world trip. And so he set off on this voyage, on this journey. He went all around the world. And along the way, God opened his eyes to the need of the world. The heathenism, all of this paganism, the, the way, the, the lives of others, and God stirred his heart and he surrendered to God's will in his life to be a missionary. Well, he eventually came home and I believe it was in the year of, um, of 1905, he enrolled at Yale University. 
He was involved in all kinds of academics. He was involved in all kinds of athletics. And he was a great success. So much so that he could have done whatever he wanted to do with his life. Yet he believed that God had, had called him to be a missionary. Well, years had gone by and, and finally he graduated from Yale and he enrolled in Princeton Theological Seminary. How many of you knew that all of these Ivy League schools used to be Baptist colleges? Anybody know that? Yeah, great theological seminaries. He was successful. And he graduated from Princeton in 1912, was ordained, and came under the auspices of the China Inland Mission. Because he had heard about this, this, uh, this Muslim people living in China that no one was attempting to reach with the gospel. So he set out. He said, you know what, I'm going to reach these people, and in order to better reach them, I'm going to go to, to Cairo, Egypt, I'm going to learn the, lang- the Arabic language so I can be a help to these people. Tragically, however, along his journey to Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis. And 19 days after contracting spinal meningitis, he died on April 9th. 1913. He never made it to China. After his death, all of his personal effects were sent home to his family in Chicago, along with his Bible. In the front of his Bible, there was three simple statements written. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. And after each of these After each of these statements, there was a date. No reserves was written over the date he decided that he would not pursue a position in his family's business, but rather surrender his life to the Lord's work. He said, you know what? No reserves, Lord, here's all of me. After the the statement, no retreat, was written during a date in his school year, as he was training for ministry. But that statement, no regret, was written on March 21st, 1913. During his illness. Shortly before his death. No reserves. No retreat. No regret. When Elijah cast his mantle upon Elisha. It was a decision by Elisha of no reserve, no retreat, and no regret. He burned all the bridges that led him back. He says, you know what, I'm not going back. I'm going to follow Elijah. Sometimes we struggle in our lives the world is it's tricky, isn't it? Slick, sly, the world, the flesh, the devil. We battle all three. And the lure of it all to bring us back cause us to remove our steps from following the Lord. It's real, it's dangerous. Sometimes we just have to make the decision that we're going to burn the bridge that would lead us back. 
If you do that, friends, there'll be no reserves, there'll be no retreats, there'll be no regrets. But notice the final lesson we learn here. One of great simplicity. Be with Christ. Be with Him. Be with Him. The end of verse 21 in 1 Kings 19, the Bible says, Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. He was with the prophet of God. We should turn as we close this morning. Turn to the gospel according to Mark. In Mark chapter number 3. What is the primary call of God on all of our lives? What does God want for you or from you more than anything? In Mark chapter 3, in verse 14, the Bible says, speaking of Christ and His disciples, He says, and He ordained twelve. But Would you mark the next statement? That they would what? That they should be with him. That they should be with Him. What does God want from you? He wants you to be with Him. What does this even mean? To be with Him. To spend time with Him. To get to know Him. To develop a real, meaningful, authentic relationship with Christ. How does this transpire? It depends on the investment you make. It's not, you can't buy this relationship. You can't put money in an offering plate and think, I'm good. <laughs> I've got it. It's not how it works. It's an investment of time. You must be with him. Husbands, wives, how well do you know your spouse? You know them as well as you want to. You know them as well as the amount of time that you've spent getting to know them. Talking to them. Enjoying their company. It's the same with your Lord. You'll know Him as much as you desire to know Him. You know the yearning of the Apostle Paul's heart was that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect. But listen closely. He said, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark, for the high calling of the prize. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, you've got to follow Him. 
got to be with him. Prayer. Bible reading. You say, Pastor, that's all childish. <laughs> I'm afraid not. Those are the basic requirements spending time, of, of knowing the Lord. How well do you know God's Word? The Lord tells us in the book of Psalms that God esteems His Word more highly than His own name. We've got to know Him. We've got to know Him. Consider what Christ has done for you. Christian, what ought your response be? We must spend time with the Lord. We must burn those bridges. We must love Him first. We must love Him most. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I invite you to stand with me this morning.